Hello, I'm Nick. And I'm Autumn. And we are Abounding in Hope. Yes. In our last episode, we talked about why you need hope, specifically hope that's found in Jesus Christ. And you may have heard us reference something called the gospel. Well, in this episode, we want to go into depth about what the gospel is, where it can be found, and why it's relevant to you, whether you've believed it all your life or whether you don't believe it. So let's hop in. So the gospel is found in the Bible, and the Bible is the only authority on the gospel. Uh, We believe that the Bible was inspired by God, although written by human hands. The true author of the Bible is God. When we say inspired, what does that mean? It means that God has put on the the minds of of a human being and that human being writes out those words that that God has has given. And it could it could mean the person adds their personality to it, but it is ultimately inspired by God. Right. So you're saying that in what's really going on in the background of, the, of this person, let's say Moses, he wrote mm-hmm. he wrote books in the Old Testament of the Bible. What's really going on in the background is that God is he wouldn't Moses would not have sat down and written uh, written his written the book of the the book of the Bible that he wrote. He wrote a couple, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did. Yeah. What's one specific that he wrote? Just for just for example, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Yeah. Yeah. Moses wouldn't have sat down and written Deuteronomy unless God had. I like to imagine God kind of poked him and said, "Hey, you should write this." <laughs> Something like that. It's probably yeah. not exactly what happened, but God was the inspiration for it. And it's not mm-hmm. inspiration, as in a, an author today can draw inspiration, say if he wants to write a book about historical fiction. An author derives inspiration from an event in history and then creates his book. Not really like that. Uh, let, let's take a look here. Second Timothy 3, 16-17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I think that captures it very well. It does, it does. Scripture is breathed out by God. So though a human hand wrote it, the words came from God, and we don't exactly understand what that looks like or maybe what that felt like, but when the pen wrote, the words were from God. Hmm. And so the Bible is much different from ordinary books in that it is living. That doesn't mean, I'm not saying it has a heartbeat. I'm not saying you can talk to it and it can talk back to you. Well, almost can. <laughs> but uh, Hebrews, Hebrews gets into that and explains what I mean by that. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wow. <clears throat> so it's living and active. It interacts with us in, in a way that only something that is written and inspired by God can. For example, how many times, Autumn, have you read a verse in the Bible and you've understood it, you've gotten its, you've gotten its meaning, you've, you've grasped it, but then you've come back to it 
in a different part of your life when you're going through different things and it hits you in a whole new way and instructs you and touches you in a whole different way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This has happened many times throughout my life <clears throat> where perhaps even I've read it and I don't quite understand it, what, what God's intentions was for that specific scripture. And so that, therefore it might not mean so much to me in my life. But then say a year or two laters, two years later, I go back to that same scripture and it, it affects me uh, because maybe I understand it more and, and I perhaps something in my life uh, makes it uh, very meaningful to me on a whole new, a whole new way. That's why uh, we can always be learning about scripture. You know, as long as you, as long as you live, scripture, you will never know enough about scripture, right? Right, right. Because, like we said, it's living and active, and it has life because of, because of God. If it weren't for God, like apart from God, the Bible is just a book. It's just words on, it's just words on, on a page. But because God is the inspiration of it, God is behind it. God keeps it living, and therefore he has not taken his hands off Scripture. He is still using Scripture. He applies mm-hmm. it to you. That's why that's why it can hit you in a different way, because God knows what you're going through in your life. God knows what you need to hear. God knows what he wants to teach you. So he uses his word to do that. And because we believe that God has inspired this book and breathed it out, and because God is holy and perfect we believe that the bible is infallible Mm -hmm. meaning there is no wrong in it there is no error there's no contradiction and we believe that we can uh, draw our beliefs about god and about how we are to live in light of who god is we believe we can draw all of that out from the bible let's let's get into a little bit of just kind of what it looks like what what uh what some of the the aspects of the Bible are. The Bible is comprised of how many books? 66 books. 39 books in the Old Testament and 21 books in the New. Right. And like all good stories, there is a climax, a focal point, the main point. And that main point is a who. Who is the main point of the Bible? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Yes. He is the center and focus of the gospel. In fact, the gospel is, o- is often called the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, what does gospel mean? Good news. Yes. The good news of Jesus Christ. There are references to, if you read, read in the Old Testament, there are references to a coming Messiah or Savior. That's what Messiah means. Prophecies. All over the Old Testament. One you can find in Isaiah 9 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So you can tell, just by reading that, that this Jesus is no 
ordinary person. He's no, uh, he's not like, there, there's many other characters in the Bible like Moses, David, uh, Samson, all sorts of interesting people who did some pretty incredible things. But Jesus is much different from the rest of them. There were pictures of him. We believe that David was a picture of Jesus, that the way he lived his life, the things he went through, and even down to his personality, um, he was a picture, a type that he's called, of Jesus Christ. He was actually a form of a prophecy mm -hmm. of Christ. But no one is called, no one else in the Bible is referred to as the Prince of Peace or the Everlasting Father or Wonderful Counselor. These are very special titles, very special names. So who exactly is Jesus? Well, we believe from the Bible that he is God and that he is the Son of God. Um, in the Old Testament, there are, like I said, there are prophecies about him coming. And you've heard me mention him, him as the Messiah or the Savior. Uh, the Israelites, who were uh, primarily the the who were the like the primary characters in the Old Testament, they had a lot of problems. They had a lot of people who were trying to take them away, take them captive, kill them. So they needed a savior, and that's I believe why uh, perhaps one of the reasons why God chose to speak of the Messiah this way but he wasn't uh he wasn't the kind of savior that they were expecting as you read into the into the new testament you realize that people were thinking they were going to have maybe a military savior uh, at the time when jesus came when jesus came into history uh, rome was the main power on earth and rome had taken over a large chunk of the known world including jerusalem and the Jews were under the rule of Caesar, and they did not like having Rome as their government. So they thought that the coming Messiah would establish an earthly kingdom and be a uh, military savior. But as we keep reading, we realize that's not really what he was about. First of all, like I said, Jesus is different from, from everyone else. He was called in Isaiah, they, they called him the Everlasting Father. Usually, that sort of language is reserved for God and God alone. But Jesus is God, we believe, from the Bible. He is God and he is the Son of God. And he referenced, and Jesus, Jesus uh, says this of himself in John 10. Uh, referring to his people as his sheep, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never, never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So when he talks about the Father, he means God the Father. God is often referred to as our father and he here Jesus makes a claim 
He and the Father are the same. And in, this, and in the same breath, I and the Father are one. He also says, my Father, meaning that he is the Son of, the Son of God. So he's got this interesting relationship where not only is he the Son of, of God, but he is also God. And it's a little, a little hard to understand. Mm-hmm. Yes. But that's okay. It doesn't mean it's not true. That's a part of the Trinity, right? Yes. Like the Trinity theory is about the Father. It, the, the Trinity entails the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And somehow there's three separate aspects. But uh, they're all the same. Yes. And the Bible talks quite a bit about this. We don't have it all in one verse. There's much more about it, too. Uh, Jesus, not only was he the Son of God, but he was also man. He was fully God and fully man. John 1, 14 says, And the Word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word is, uh, the word capitalized as a name is used throughout the Bible to refer to Jesus Christ specifically. And we see him uh, actually in the very very first verse of the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Mm-hmm. John 1, 1. Yes, John 1, 1. He's, well, yes, talking about at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let's see, yes, Philippians 2, 7. Uh, But Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. What do you think it means by that, the likeness of men? Uh, It means, from my understanding, that he uh, looked just like we are, had two eyes and a nose and a mouth and hands Mm -hmm. and feet, Mm -hmm. and that uh, he was... No different from us, except that he was God. Mm-hmm. So there was no, like, uh, anything grand in his appearance. No, not at all. In fact, uh, another prophecy of him in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, uh, I'll sum it up. It says he didn't really look like much at all, basically. If, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if, you, if you read it at face value, it basically says Jesus was not anything to Mm -hmm. look at. Mm -hmm. He didn't seem special, didn't seem like anybody. When in fact he was everything to everyone. He Mm -hmm. was God himself. So why did Jesus come to earth? We've talked about we've talked about what the Bible is about, but we haven't gotten into why this has happened. Haven't gotten into why Jesus has come to earth. And this is this is where the good news comes in, the gospel. We mentioned that uh, the Jews of the time thought that Jesus was going to be a military savior, that he was going to establish a kingdom on earth, and he was going to defeat Rome, and be that kind of a messiah Jesus actually came to save us from something much worse than an oppressive earthly government 
So let's back up. In the Old Testament, there is something called the law, the Ten Commandments, and then there are sacrifices. So at, a, at one point in, in Israel's history, in the Old Testament, Moses, who was, as we mentioned, an author of some of the books of the Bible, was given tablets of stone from God on which were written Ten Commandments as uh, the law from God for us to keep. And the theory here was that if we were to perfectly keep this law, to never deviate from any of these commandments, we would be right before God and therefore be worthy of receiving eternal life and of God calling us holy. Mm -hmm. A little problem. Hmm. No one could ever do it. Mm -hmm. The law was so hard to keep that it was impossible to keep. No one ever succeeded in doing this. Everyone always failed. And not only failed, they failed with style. You read all through the Old Testament of the Israelites, who were the chosen people of God, uh, blatantly turning their backs on God and committing horrific sins and doing terrible, ugly things. And, like I said, failing with style. So... What then? Would we ever be would we ever be able to be right with God if this was the law and we weren't able to keep it? What are we gonna do? That's just it. That's where the climax gets really interesting and there has to be a solution outside of ourselves. And this is where God actually intervenes and uh sends his only son. Yeah, and if and you've probably heard this verse, even if you've never read the Bible, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So you see, Jesus was coming to save us from ourselves. He was coming to save us from uh, the sin in us. He was coming because he wanted to give us an opportunity to go from being enemies of God to being loved by God to being friends of God. He was the salvation of sinners. And that is that is all over Scripture as well. And I will give you some interesting Scripture texts about that in just a second here. Uh, yes, so Hebrews 5.9. And once Jesus made perfect... He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Yes, right there it says Christ died. I mentioned that in the Old Testament there were sacrifices as well. Mm -hmm. So multiple times a year uh, God had commanded the Israelites to go to the temple go to God's temple and take lambs uh, and bulls and goats and to kill them and offer their blood as a sacrifice for their sins basically the idea here was that when you commit a sin and God as far as God is concerned uh, whatever the sin was no matter how big or small 
committing that sin makes you guilty of death. You are uh, guilty. You're, you're, God has every right to condemn you to death. So the idea was that, this, that the blood of this, this animal would atone for your sin, basically make up for it, that mm-hmm. you could kill that in your place. It could die in your place. But throughout the Bible... You had to keep sacrificing and keep sacrificing mm-hmm. and keep sacrificing, and it mm-hmm. just never seemed to be enough. Mm-hmm. So there needed to be a better sacrifice, mm-hmm. and that's where Jesus comes in. And he is the perfect sacrifice, right? You think of the the animals that they they sacrificed. You know, they were they were just like imperfect. They were like a lamb. They were. Uh, a, a creature uh, that you know could never be perfect you know there's never a perfect sacrifice no it never has been not until Jesus yes so what happened was let's give a little history here of Jesus Jesus was born and he lived a perfect life he never sinned Jesus says that he came to fulfill the law so where we failed he succeeded where we couldn't keep the law he did never did anything imperfect everything he did was acceptable and right in the eyes of God his father so Jesus lived to be about 34 I think right 33 33 yeah it was 33 okay and right towards the end of his life uh, he was falsely accused of many things by the the current religious system the scribes and Pharisees and uh, it, it built up eventually to him being crucified on a cross. Crucifixion was uh, the most horrific way you could possibly be executed in the day. It was invented by the Romans, and what happened was they would stretch you out on a uh, large cross. I'm sure you know what the cross looks like. Everybody has seen it at this point. And they would put large nails through your wrists, as you were stretched out, and then through both of your feet. And then they would raise the cross up and put it in the ground so that you, as you were hanging on it, you couldn't breathe, you were suffocating. Uh, The strain on your shoulders would dislocate them, and it was a long, terrible way to die. This is what happened to Jesus. And when when he died on that cross, there wasn't just his physical death going on. There was, there was a lot more going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. What we believe happened there, based on what the Bible tells us, is that on the cross, Jesus willingly took on our sins. And then when he died, our sins were done away with with his death. They died with him. And that all who believe in him uh, also shared in his death and the and the significance of this is that then Jesus put his perfect record upon us so that we could actually be right with God and have all of our sins done away with John 3 sums us up pretty well and I'll just read that for you starting at verse 16 which you already heard for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So that's the problem there. It says, this is the, judg this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So, a lot of times I hear people say, why do I need to believe this? Why, why does it matter? Why can't I just be as I am? And that's that. Well, the problem is, God, who is has absolute authority on, over everything in creation and history, he is holy. He's light, and he is purity. And it's very, like, it's hard to describe, but he is, <laughs> holy is the best word to describe uh, who God, who God is. Have you ever heard of the word aseity? I have. Yeah. Yeah, that, that word I often think of as God is completely set apart from from all humans. Like there is nothing, uh, you know, we are unholy. God is completely holy. So that that's what that word means. It's completely set apart, consecrated, holy, uh, very different than us as human beings. Yes, it says that we love the darkness rather than the light, and that's probably the main difference between us and God. He is the light, and we want nothing nothing to do with that light. We mm -hmm. want nothing to do with his holiness, but we need that. Mm -hmm. Because with God being holy, because of that, because of that otherness, because of that being completely consecrated and set apart, he can't have anything disgusting and evil in front of him, which is mm -hmm. what we are. And yes. We, we know this about ourselves. If you take a good look at yourself, you know that there's a lot of, there's a lot of ugliness under the surface. Mm -hmm. And you know that you need, you need help. So when Jesus died, he took all your ugliness and gave you all his goodness, all his perfectness, so that you could, instead of hating the light, you could love the light, you could want the light. He when, he, when you believe in him, he changes who you are and changes uh, your desires so that you no longer hate God, but instead you love him and you recognize your need for him. Mm -hmm. And I want to share in Romans 10, this verse comes to mind about our response to the gospel and that uh, Romans 10 it's let's see it starts in verse 9 let me read that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified 
and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Yes. Let's sum up a little what we just talked about here. It's it's a lot, and uh, actually my foot is falling asleep horrifically, so I have been a little distracted. There we go. That should help. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, let's sum things up. From the beginning of creation, God made heavens and the earth. God made us. Then we chose to sin. And that's where we got to the point where we hate God instead of love him. God gave us the law. And the law did not serve to bring us back to God. Instead, it served to drive us farther away from him. And are you laughing about my foot falling asleep? (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) Distraction. Sorry, guys. Yes. (laughs) We were afraid this might happen. (laughs) It's all good. It's all good. We're real humans. Yep, real humans who make mistakes in their podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Whose feet fall asleep and distract them while they're trying to remember what they're supposed to say. (laughs) Okay. The blood is coming back and I can feel my toes again. So I think I should be able to get through this. (laughs) Okay, starting over. Yes. God created us. We fell from the perfection that he made us in by choosing to sin. And that brings us to where we are now, where we hate God instead of love him. So we were given the law and we were not able to keep the law. So we needed a perfect, we needed someone to perfectly keep the law for us Mm -hmm. and be sacrificed to satisfy God's justice. And again, these are things that we could spend so much time talking about, and we will mm-hmm. get into these things. Yes. It's very hard to sum up the gospel without, because there's so much to it. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, but we, we, we will talk more about this. Mm-hmm. Just in case you're confused, bear with us. Mm-hmm. But yes, Jesus was the, the, perfect, the perfect sacrifice to satisfy God's justice, mm-hmm. to give us salvation, make us right before God, and to change who we are so that we no longer hate God, but we love him. And this is relevant for you, whether you are uh, a believer in Jesus Christ or whether you don't believe. Obviously, if you don't believe, it's, uh, it's for you to hear, to realize uh, the truth of it and your need for it, and to uh, repent from what you've done wrong, and to ask Jesus to... to be your righteousness, be your salvation, Mm -hmm. and to then experience friendship with God, which is a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And if you're a believer, it is also for you. The gospel is not just for people who do not know Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. By rehearsing the gospel, it drives us to thanksgiving, to praise, and it reminds us when we mess up that mm-hmm. Jesus is our righteousness. Yes, yes. So 
Yes, that that means that the gospel is for the unbeliever as well as the believer. I think, I know for me in my past as a believer, I can often forget how much I need the gospel and its, it's uh, truth to penetrate into my heart and affect my, my daily walk with, with God. And so that is why I, I love the, the practice of, of rehearsing the gospel. And I, I also want to recommend a, a book I've, I read probably five years ago. It's, it's simply called The Gospel by J.D. Greer. It's a very good book because it it emphasizes how how much we even as believers need the gospel in our daily lives and yes that that is so very true I have so often found that when I do not rehearse or meditate on the gospel I am prone to feel weighed down by my shortcomings. Yeah. <laughs> you know I'm a very sensitive person, Nick. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You've learned that in our past almost year of dating now that I can be quickly weighed down by, by things that I might do wrong or uh, something that I mess up on. And I am quickly reminded that I I don't measure up. I I don't. Uh, I I can't uh, earn my salvation in any way, shape, or form. Right, and we need to be reminded every day. I, I do that. Jesus paid the price on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, and there is so much goodness here in this uh, in this gospel to get into to to draw out from it to learn about to speak about and we couldn't possibly hope to get it all done in one episode we we struggled to know which things to touch on and uh, which things to go into and which things to cover later but we are excited to to share this with you and we are looking forward to talking to you more about it in our next episode and also, in our next episode, in theory, my foot will not fall asleep, and I will stay on topic. <laughs> You're good. It's okay. Okay, guys. <laughs> and one other thing. If any of you have any thoughts or suggestions or uh, recommendations or questions, please reach out to either of us, and we would be happy to talk more about anything or to, uh, yeah, just just talk with you about more things. Um we're always seeking to to learn and grow as Christians, so that's why we need each other. And yeah, it's all part of the sanctification process, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is indeed. All right. We will see you next time. This is Abounding in Hope. Yes. Catch you later. All right, bye.